Hello, everybody, and welcome to the to Metapod, the Pokemon podcast that revolves around the evolving meta. We're the Pokemon TCG podcast, oh, Sean. It. We're a trading card up. game. You had one job. I gave it to you before this pod spontaneously. Uh, I'll see myself out. But anyways, we got a lot of great stuff to talk about on this podcast episode today. Those of you watching on YouTube, Spotify, you may see this new face here in the middle. So why don't you go ahead, our friend, introduce yourself, guest of the day. Hey, my name's Frank, Frank Persick. I have been uh, playing Pokemon now for quite some time. Competitively, I've been playing a trading card game since 2016. You might know me on social media as Steak Frank. We got the handle up on the screen here. <laughs> Steak Frank. If you do not know, we have champions in this room and in this podcast today, and it does not include Sean or myself. So Frank here, we're going to give you a lot of great information today about the Pokemon trading card game, about preparing for the world championships um, and all that uh, jazz in a bag of chips. Frank, you plan on going to Worlds, right? I would assume. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I booked my uh, my travel a couple weeks ago, actually, and uh, it's it's really looming in here. It feels like so far away, but so close at the same time. I'm super excited, though. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Do you want to give people like a, a background on like you know your deal, your resume? Been... Yeah, yeah. You, you, you <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sorry, a long time, I was trying yeah. to stay humble there for no, for no. We don't need no. No, no. <laughs> we we brought you on so you could brag about yourself, so you could tell everyone right. how you're the bee's knees. Yeah, so I, uh, like I said, I started playing in 2016, November 2016, um, and then that following season, so 2017-2018 season, after I've been playing for um, about a year, I was uh, top 16 player in North America, got to my first you know, full season, and I ended up getting a day two invite to the World Championships, so I was ranked 16th in North America, uh, got my first day two that year, followed by at the European International Championships, and then got my first top eight a couple of months later at the Oceania International Championships after I'd been playing for about uh, a year and a few months. And then um, the following season, I had finished school, actually, and wasn't playing as much, so didn't qualify uh, for the World Championships that year. But then in uh, 2020, I uh, started playing kind of full-time again, and then with the pandemic and everything, I didn't play as much online, but then picking up uh, the season again this year, I uh, ended up getting second at the European International Championships back in March. Um, and then I qualified again for, for day two of, of Worlds uh, this year. It wasn't something I was kind of planning on doing, but when you act, you know, get 400 CP out of nowhere, <laughs> just uh, as you were, you know, as I'm already kind of like, you know, I was like 10 points shy of my invite or something like that. Um, it kind of catapults you, um, you know, pretty high up in the rankings. So I'll be uh, playing in day two of the world championships for my, my second world championships. I've never played day one of world championships yet, which is pretty crazy. Well, neither have I, you know, but that's <laughs> two true. different stories. I was going to say, also, you had the, uh, your, your other, on your resume, you had the uh, uh, joy of spanking my butt in the Shuffle Squad tournament. We ended up getting paired against, like, one of the few times I personally played Pokemon in the last, like, six months to nine months. And I end up paired against you right after your EUIC run. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I just it was funny because I talk about a lot of just like kind of buying some some relevancy. It's, you know, I had in my last top eight wasn't uh, was back in 2018, and I was actually going into the season. You know, starting to think people didn't remember who I was or anything like that when it came to playing cards after being off for so long and and not playing online. And then you know, I went and top eight my top eighted uh, my second international championships and, and made it to the finals, which was like pretty cool. It was my first big. Uh, big finals run. So it's been a pretty good year for me. I, I thought kind of 2018 was going to be my breakout season, but you know, it's feeling kind of all over again. I, I feel like I'm kind of like this year has been, you know, felt like I've kind of reached a, a separate echelon of player for the first time that the people started to realize it's, it's felt, felt really nice for sure. Do you feel like European international championships are like your home court advantage, you know, your, your bread and butter? Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because um, I've always like um, historically done really bad at NAIC for the most part um, outside of this year, actually, um, because I've competed previous to this NAIC. I had competed in three 
domestic international championships and three international international championships. And uh, I had top eighted two of the the foreign international championships and um, got top 32 at the third. And then at all of the NAICs that I'd been to, I did like, you know, top 128, like not even qualified, you know, top 512 or something, like nothing significant really. And it's, it's like, it's kind of funny. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Cause like before Azul won NAIC, like an American had never won NAIC before North American. And, you know, you go over to Europe as an American <laughs> and you just dominate Europe. So it's weird on that, like back and forth that I think is really cool. But Sean, Mm-hmm. We got to discuss the big kahuna. We got to discuss world championships. We're going to be rooting for Frank in the world championships as we do with all of our guests that join us. But Sean, what are, what are we going to talk about specifically about worlds? I mean, I guess we can kick it off by, um, by talking about preparing for worlds, right? Like before we get into the day and the weekend and all of that, like just knowing that worlds is something, Frank, that actually you and many other players have been working towards since 2020 at this point, <laughs> technically since 2019, because yeah. those points done carried over, um, you know, three years going into this, you know, what, what is it like? Um, and how is it different? I guess preparing for something like worlds versus uh, a regional or an IC even. Yeah, it's it's really unique, and you know, you, a lot of people don't realize. You know, you think kind of one of these major, you know, two, three, four day tournaments are going to be the same, but Worlds is is different in and of itself because it's a tournament where it's like the end of the season, right? It's not like I'm just going there to try and get enough points to you know pull off. You know, it's like this is the one. Like, it's not you know people are there. To, everybody's there to win. Like nobody's there mm-hmm. to just get a specific placement or try and you know, you know, pay for their trip or whatever. Like you're, you're the, this, there's no other reason to go other than to try and try and compete to win. And so um, the meta and like the, the risks that people take are, are a little bit different than compared to uh, another tournament. And also the thing you think about is the caliber of player that you have there is at the highest tier. You know, people traveling from all over the world to be there you know, you have to have a certain amount of placements and points to qualify and everything like that. So the 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 meta of itself and like the type of, of decks that people choose to play are are a little bit different than just your regular tournament, right? You're not gonna run into a casual player, you know, it's 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 everybody's there because they are, you know, their most of their life outside of, you know, their their job or whatever is revolving around, you know, playing competitive Pokemon because that's kind of how it has to be to to make it out there and qualify and, and, you know, do all that. So you really have to take things like that into account. There's certain decks that you can kind of discount. Like sometimes if I'm preparing for a regional, you know, oh, I, my deck has to do X thing because if I run into this random deck that's popular that I don't think many good players will play or, or you know, if I hit something, you know, off the wall, I, I have to be worried about losing to it. It's, it's a very much more concentrated of a meta. You kind of have a better understanding of what people will play. And another thing is too, um, you, you really kind of information is really valuable and just like knowing what people are thinking about or what people are thinking about playing because you have a much higher chance of running into these top level players, like these, you know, limitless players or or these, you know, professional quote unquote players, because that's like what most of the pool is, is, is concentrated of. And so, you're a lot more worried about what they're playing. Whereas if like a 1200 person tournament, it's like, I don't care what this person's playing because you know, the odds that I run into them outside of like, you know, day two or top eight or anything is, is, is low. Whereas now it's, it's everybody's, I think a lot more secretive and um, you know, testing groups are, are a lot more well knit usually when it comes to like a regional or even an international. Um, I kind of test around a little bit or talk to different people about things. Whereas worlds, I'm just like, everything is, is kind of like locked down because, because, you know, the information is really powerful. Um, so those are just some of the, the niche differences. I think at the end of the day, you know, I'm preparing for it in a similar way I would any tournament, whereas it's, you know, I, I want to have a deck that I'm comfortable with to kind of back up and know how to play and know how to win with, but at the same time, trying to explore as many, you know, unexplored ideas as I can or trying to find this like crazy, um, you know, secret deck for the tournament or, or something like that. Um, Normally, that's how I go about any other tournament. It's just that the uh, I can be a little more, um, I guess, like I said, the meta is a little more concentrated. So I have a little more knowledge about, you know, what I'm going to run into, who's going to be playing what. And then um, 
The other thing too is with this world championship compared to other ones, you know, there's no new set. There's no rotation. You know, last world championships, 2018 or 2019 world championships, uh, there was a rotation beforehand and a new set and every world championships before that, you know, a new set had just come out. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of ingenuity that comes with that and a lot of creativity that's rewarded for your deck building. Whereas this, you know, we're in, we got a mini set, but other than that, um, it's going to be the same as things were for NAIC, which was a huge tournament that, you know, if there was going to be some, you know, innovative idea or something like that, you know, it, it really would shine in a tournament where, you know, 1600 people are competing. Um, so it's been a little interesting. It's felt kind of hard to innovate for me personally, as somebody who tries to be as innovative as possible when it comes to, you know, those kind of things. Um, so at this point, really, the preparation just comes down to uh, finding a deck you're comfortable with, finding one that you think can kind of win the tournament, beat all of the top decks for sure. Not only that, but beat all of the, the top players playing the top decks, um, and then just knowing the matchups like the back of your hand. I mean, you mentioned, like, testing groups, right? And I'm curious, like, do are you, are you a part of a testing group? You don't have to tell us the people. We don't need names. But, like, do you have, no, like... No. I need you to leak all the information and <laughs> all the 59 leaks. of the cards that you want to play uh -huh. at Worlds. This is how we launch a Patreon account. We just take all of your deep, <laughs> all the secrets, and then, no. Um, like, yeah, are you part of, like, a group of people who test, or are you kind of, like, going solo for your your prep, if you will? I'm, I kind of hop around a little bit. I'm, like, not very faithful in the testing group. <laughs> like, I, like, I don't like to commit to a testing group. And you, you see... Yeah. I mean, you know, these groups of people that test together and these like power groups of, of people that, you know, you know, like, um, you know, Isaiah and Rahul and, and, and Xander, you know, all those people. That's like a knit group that everybody knows about and um, like Azul and Caleb and all those people. And um, for me personally, I, I kind of uh, I talk to everybody. I'm just interested in, you know, anybody who's willing to listen to my ideas and um, share their ideas with me and play with me honestly because i have a pretty sporadic schedule sometimes so uh, like sometimes it's just the first person who answers my message is like who i'm testing with for that yeah. day and then i message somebody else who i've been talking to or sometimes i just like see somebody post their idea on twitter and i'll just mess i'll reach out to them and say hey i thought this was cool like what did you think about this card and um yeah i think for each tournament this season that i've competed in i've tested with a, a different group of people or, or sometimes it's like a a collaborative effort where I'm just like messaging multiple groups of people and some of them like don't know that I'm talking to other ones about it or I'll like <laughs> link other people together. Like uh -huh. I'm like, Oh, I was talking to so-and-so about this thing. You should talk to them yeah. on the side. And, um, and that's always nice because you know, it's, it's when it comes to me personally, like I said, I like to kind of be innovative and sometimes I'll pull up to these tournaments with these crazy decks and that's not really something you can do, you know, by, yourself and even when it comes to like a, a knit group of people sometimes it just takes like a collaboration between so many different groups of people to, to find the thing that i want to play and honestly yeah anyone that's willing to listen to me or like willing to to talk to me or play with me I, i'm down to test with uh as of recent for world so far i've been testing um with drew kennett a lot um he and i have been been talking a lot and and testing a lot and um will be doing a lot of cool stuff in the future that I won't talk about okay. um, right now that you should be on the lookout for. But, you heard it um, here first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he and I specifically have been um, talking a lot and testing a lot for Worlds for sure. Um, I've been talking to um, a couple other people. I don't know if you know Josh Yell, um, Joshua. Um, he and I have been talking a little bit. We haven't actually gotten some games in yet because we um, both have pretty busy schedules. But um, those, I think, I think that's really the only people I've talked about worlds. I I talked to um Fabian Puyall a lot as well. I, like some of the European players when there's like a international tournament, I like talk to them because I you know you don't get to see them all all yeah. throughout the year. So whenever I know I'm going to be seeing them, I'll, I'll talk to them um a lot. Yeah. Um and I like all the, the French players are super awesome. Like um Stefan and Fabian and Hedy and um all those players are super cool. And so I've been talking to to Fabian a little bit, but um we're still a few weeks out. So this is kind of the point in my testing where I'm just like trying a bunch of crazy stuff. And then when we get a little bit closer to the tournament, yeah. <laughs> I'll, uh, like I'll kind of dial it in and I'll get a better idea of like 
what deck I'm going to play or what, you know, two or three decks in between. And then that's when you just start grinding games, like, constantly. And then right I was just kind of in the chit-chat phase of, like, oh, did you see this deck? Or, you know, have we tried this card or this card yet? Or have you have you looked at Radiant Charizard yet? That's kind of And then when you talk that. about, you know, what deck you're going to choose, you're talking about literally the night before at, like, 1 a.m. with the people that you're rooming with. You know, then you change your deck and you're like, oh, I'm going to play this instead. There's like there's a there's like phases of, of the tournament <laughs> yeah. preparation. There's like so like early on it's like bet- between the last tournament and the next tournament, like the day the one the one tournament's over, in between the start of the next tournament, you're just messaging people back and forth of like, hey, did you think about this card or this card or did you see so and so's deck list? They they mm-hmm. put cross switchers in there and you know that we're chit chatting and then um, once you or you know you think about cards or whatever. And then it comes down to, you know, what ideas do we want to explore? And then you start, like, you make the list. You type it out. You don't even – I don't even build it or put it in anything. You just type it out, and then you send it in the chat or send it to whoever, and then you edit it. And then um, you'll have – once you have, like, a couple of vowels or ideas, then it's like, okay, you got to beat Palkia or you got to beat Arceus. So then you're playing against these, like, cookie-cutter Arceus, Palkia decks for a little while. And then – uh, it'll lose, and then you just go back to the drawing board. Like I've, <laughs> mm. um, or you know, it does well, and then then you really start to just like get into the matchups. Or um, by the time you're probably like two or so weeks out of the tournament, uh, you're done exploring new ideas. It's like you have a few decks to narrow it down from um, that you've tried. You've tried a bunch of things. You see what you like, see what you don't like. Um, but then when when crunch time starts, then it's just like learning all of these decks that you think might be viable and then the night before like when you land in europe or when you land in wherever that's when you're figuring out like who's who what did who's so-and-so buying from the vendors who did you hear is playing this deck and and then that's when you're deciding um or you're like oh we're gonna go to so-and-so's hotel room and they're staying with blah 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 and we're gonna see what they're playing and hang out with them and talk to them about what we found and then that's when you narrow it down and that's when you come to the consensus of like the night before so it's like you do sometimes like pick your deck the night before, but there's a lot of like phases of, of how you get to that point. It's not just like, you know, you pull up and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're playing around on. <laughs> well, that might actually happen, but, but you know what I mean? like, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's what I do. I mean, I just skip every other phase, but then I go to like the panic chaos phase, you know, where you're just constantly, and that's just why I don't win, you know, compared to you. But <laughs> either way, there's a lot of stuff that goes into preparations of big tournaments. But one of the things that I think a lot of people will connect with in terms of preparing for events, especially, you know, because we actually have like a decently sized new audience because so many people have started playing since the pandemic, you know, COVID-19 really struck, even though we didn't have IRL events. So Talking a little bit about the online era, you said you haven't really played too much of like online tournaments. You've kind of been laying a little bit back towards those. Yeah, I actually really like to watch online tournaments or I like to follow them because I, I really to figure out like what is going to be a good play for a, a tournament or like, you know, what deck player, etc. Um, you have to be up to date on the meta, which is just con- with the online era is like constantly evolving. There's like a 300 person tournament like every week or every other week and so it's you know you're you're constantly looking to see oh our rc centillion list playing you know one marnie or two marnie or or you know is Muse still playing echoing horn and then you have like these these huge you know tournaments that can kind of tell you that information so i'm always looking at the results of these tournaments even if i'm not playing in them all the time because i want to know you know what decks are good or what things that i should be looking into based on and stuff that you know based on like what other people are playing and it, it's funny to think about, but it's, it's really, it's like, there are decks that like, like Duraldon for a time, um, Arceus Duraldon, um, was really good. And then Mew started playing Echoing Horn and then the deck was really bad. And it's <laughs> funny because there's like, there's like one card, you know, if, if it, a certain deck stops playing like one of their 60 cards, um, all of a sudden this other deck can, can, you know, be good again. And then if that deck's good again, then this deck needs to play, you know, a different card or this deck becomes bad again. And so you have to constantly figure out like where things are balanced to, to understand like what you should be playing or what deck's kind of good. So I'm always falling, even if I'm not playing. Yeah. So how much do you do like watching on Twitch and stuff? Like, do you do a lot of that? Like maybe oh, I'm YouTube videos, all the time. Twitch? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, 
I have yeah, I'm subscribed to like everybody and I just go and I see because that's another thing too. If, if you're going to like Indianapolis regionals this year had, you know, a thousand something people, um, who, where do you think they're getting their decks from? Right. It's, it's yeah. people that are making YouTube, it's content and people that are making YouTube videos. So like, I want to know that stuff. Right. I want to know, um, what decks people are, are posting. And I want to know, I look at the, com I read all the comments on people's videos. I want to see like, you know, what people are thinking about these decks and people say that they're going to play them because that's all relevant information, right? Um, so, yeah, I'm constantly watching, too. And then if, if I have a deck that I want to try, um, like if I've never played a game with um, <laughs> Drowden, so if I've never played a game with Arceus Drowden, I've never played a game with, like, Samurott or something like that, and I, you know, in my brain decide that, you know, this might be something that's worthwhile to, to look at or to explore, um, I'm going to watch other people play the deck at first, or I'm going to, if I don't know how to, I want to build the deck right away. Um, like if I'm, you know, going to play Arceus or something like that, and I don't know if I want to build the Italian version or the, the barrel version or, or what have you. Um, I'll just, I'll go to YouTube video and see how the deck plays or how does it draw. Right. Um, cause it saves me the time of like building it myself and trading for the cards and sleeping it up. And, and, you know, if I really am in, in, invested in it, I'll definitely watch other people play it. There's, there's definitely, um, no harm in that for sure and even if it's you know a top tier player or just somebody who who doesn't really compete that much and just likes to make content i think it's always worthwhile to to just absorb information right knowledge is always powerful you heard it here first from frank himself <laughs> people who don't usually play in a bunch of tournaments you can gather very useful information from listening to the podcast anyway sean i digress uh, i mean i i guess the only other thing in terms of prepping right and then we i think we can get into like the event itself which is to Jake's point, like there are all, all these online events. Um, do you find that like, I'm going to say top tier, I'm using air quotes though, for listeners who can't see like top tier players, right? Like the Azuls of the world, you know, yourself, the Tords, et cetera. Right. Um, do you feel like now that we're in an online era that there are, that they are pulling back from participating in these events in order to keep those like that, that testing and that preparation a little bit more secret now? Uh, or is like the new era just kind of like blown that all up? Um, really, I just I I've never you don't really always see top players participating in online events. I don't I don't think That's that true. ever was like a huge thing. Um, just because I I feel like for for me personally, I feel like my time I get a certain amount of time when it comes to playing Pokemon more than most other people for sure, and especially people who play full-time like Tord and Azul and, mm. and those people, um, you know, you, you, you have a, a, a certain amount of time that you can dedicate towards Pokemon, some more than others. And for me, competing in a tournament that sometimes, you know, the, the rewards are good, but a lot of the times they aren't, you know, super consequential. Um, my, my time that I can dedicate to Pokemon, a lot of the time is better spent just, you know, testing um, a specific deck with uh, another top player or, or, you know, working on um, something that I do want to keep a little more secretive rather than just, like, publicly playing in a tournament. Not that I'm, like, worried about, you know, a ton of information getting out or, I'm, I'm you know, anything like that. It's just that I, I think there are, are are better ways to be spending time than competing in online tournaments. But there, I mean, sometimes I will. Like, I've competed oh, yeah. in a few, and sometimes they're, like, super fun. Or sometimes I do want to test out my deck in a tournament setting. Or sometimes I'll bring it to Lee. Like, I've had... You know, I go to the um, Wednesday Night League at Full Grip Games, and uh, there have been many times where you can you can talk to anybody that goes there, works there, that I've, I've, like, brought a deck that then went on to, like, top 8 or regional or top 16 or regional or something like that. Yeah. That was, like, made its debut at, at my locals and something like that. So there's an, I, I'm not, like, totally against, like, taking, you know, testing my ideas in, in the online space. It's just sometimes... Um, you know, it's just uh, people don't always have the time or people, you know, their Pokemon time goes other places if you're you're like high, high, high tier competitor. And I think a lot of that has changed, too, because now we have IRL events back. Right. Like, you know, in late 2020, when we had no idea, you know, what next year was going to bring or whatever, you know, it was a whole different landscape. You know, a lot more people were doing like the online events. Some people were taking a break. They were like, oh, God, I can finally breathe. You know, like I don't have to play Pokemon all the time at this point. And and so it's just interesting to see like 
you know, I honestly would have thought the online scene would have died down a lot more than it has now. I mean, Limitless just had their like showdown and it had like 340 people, um, which is a lot. I mean, it's so it's it's really, really cool. And you see a bunch of big names pop up a lot like. I mean, Azul does the tournaments on his stream and Shintaro Ito, you see you, you see him in those tournaments as well. And a bunch of other Japanese players, high level players. So it, it's really interesting, you know, to see how it's kind of evolved and, and somewhat stayed a little bit, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I think Limitless, honestly, has been such a blessing to the, like, the Pokemon community in general. It's just that what they're doing over there uh, is absolutely just next level. Like there are, are other card games and just that have entire you know, corporations behind them or companies behind them that don't have the, the, you know, the technology available or the, just like the organization that this, you know, tiny, you know, limitless, the group of guys, have put yeah. together, which is, is, and gals. And it's, it's crazy. I, I think that's like, that's awesome that we have that. And I think that because it's just like so well organized and so well done, I don't think the online scene will ever die. Because it's nice, too. Like, I, you know, it, it is fun to play in an online tournament. Like, if I do have the time and I feel like playing in an online tournament, absolutely I will. Because um, it, it is very enjoyable. And it's nice, too, that, I, you know, you can just, like, you know, from your home, just, like, sit and, you know, play a couple games or, like, compete for some codes or whatever. Sometimes it's, you know, thousands of dollars. Like, I'm competing in the um, Shovel Squad Tournament of Champions next uh, next weekend. And, uh, you know, it's nice, you know, $2,000 prize pool and... Um, there are certain tournaments that offer, you know, prizes and, and things like that sometimes that, that do make, you know, competing online definitely worthwhile. And, and like I said, it's, it's nice to sometimes just be able to do it, you know, from the comfortability of your home and not have to, like, drive an hour to a League Cup or something like that, right? Um, yeah, you can go to the bathroom in between rounds. You can grab a snack in between turns. Like, the world is at your fingertips when you're competing online. <laughs> yeah, no, it's absolutely it's, – it's super nice. And I, I think just, like – the difference for me and like like you said why i'm not competing in in um online tournaments as heavily as i would you know like league cups and challenges and things like that is just they're not official tournaments they don't award cp for a lot of people that's a, a big deal um or i said like you know a lot of the time not all of them are you know having thousands of dollars in a, in a prize pool and so um it is a, like a nice thing to have and like i said i don't think it will will ever die it's just it'll never be you know a, a, an official tournament structure i guess right yeah mm-hmm. uh so I guess uh, the next thing to talk about, I guess, is like Worlds itself, right? Like the actual tournament um, and how it's maybe different. Um, so I'll briefly give the listeners a rundown of like the world structure. And I think this year in particular, it's particularly weird. because Yeah, it's, yeah, like, it's new this year. Yeah, it's like an expanded Worlds, which when they first said that, people thought like expanded format. And it was like, no, never. <laughs> never. Pokemon has abandoned expanded. But... Um, the structure is normally it's a three day event, actually. So you'll have like the day one, the day two for people who get enough points. And then the finals rounds, which are like, was it usually top 32, top 16, something like that. Right. Yeah. I usually break, uh, um, it's, it breaks off in the top eight for, oh, for... okay. there we go. Mm-hmm. So, but this year there's actually an earlier, it's like almost like a pre day one, but it's day one. So like, mm-hmm. I think, I don't know how many people are playing in day one and then how many get, through to day two do you do you happen to know that frank i, I or, or jake um i should know that i don't know um there are i think they're making it there's a specific number that they're making it, i think because there's um there's 30 there's 32 players from north america 44 from europe so that's um 76 mm-hmm. plus 16 from australia so that's 92 yep. and then um, how many from South America? Is that another 16? At least 16, 16 to 32. So like a hundred to 128 players, somewhere in that range for like automatic day two. Right. Yeah. I think they're, they're trying to narrow it down to like the, the specific threshold for, for rounds. Like, you know, how mm. if you go onto the Pokemon website, there's like, you know, you need X amount of people to have this many rounds and blah, 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 blah. I think there's a certain number that they're hoping to achieve. I can't remember what exactly it is. Um, but from my understanding i think i've been hearing that and i don't know if this is confirmed or not this could be like 100 percent hearsay but i've had some people tell me that they're expecting it to be five rounds and everyone that goes uh, at least three wins and yeah three wins um should make it on to the second day which i think oh, should put okay. it around like 400 people or something like that um yeah. i could be wrong i think it should be around like 400 
Um, but like I'm, you know, that's like me thinking in my head and doing this very roughly. Um, so do you think that's like three one one? You so I think once you get two losses, you're you're eliminated, right? Okay. Um, I I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you you have to get uh, to it's because yeah. Normally, what happens is you you play and you have to get a set number of wins, and then once you receive your second loss, you're you're just knocked out of the tournament. And so, mm-hmm. um, so like some people, it, it, what happens is like if it's like six wins for say, uh, as soon as you go six zero, you're done playing. Like it's you don't. Oh, it's just you you leave. And then other people play their rounds. But as soon as you get X amount of wins, then you're done. Whereas, um, that's obviously like, very different from like a typical regionals where you got to get, yeah, like, yeah, it's really yeah where you have to, yeah, you have to have that point threshold. Yeah, this is like, like in football terms, this would be like the wild card round because then you can change your deck for the second day. So, like, the real tournament starts on day two, whereas like the, the day one is just like the wild card where you're just you're trying to actually get into the tournament. Um, and you do that by just like, you know, achieving in a certain amount of wins. So like in round six or however, you know, if it's five wins and round five, a certain amount of people will move on. And then everyone that's like four, one and, and lower will, will keep playing. And then, um, once you get your second loss, then you, you also leave. And so they're just eliminating people until they get to like a certain number. You said that when you went to worlds, you were automatic day two, right? Yeah. So how much do you look at day one then? Because I don't, I, the, the two, I'm, I'm the two days way. changes is not, um, that's not a new thing, right? I believe that was in the past too. Yeah, yeah, that's always been, uh, it's always been there. Um, Which is weird to think about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 I really do think of it like two separate tournaments. And and for this world's, uh, specifically how it's different with the four day thing is basically, you know, you would play, so when I, in 2018 when I had played, uh, there were like 128 people in day two or something like that. Um, so there have been, what, 16, 22. Um, yeah, I think there have been like 60 or something. Because you get players from Japan as well yeah. uh, that qualify and stuff like that. So there was like 60 or so or something around that number that had automatically qualified. And then another 60 that had qualified from day one from like 600 or something like that. That You know, the top 10% from day one. And then... Um, you'd play a certain amount of rounds and then go into top eight all in the same day because there were only like 120 people. Um, whereas for this year, I think there's going to be quite a lot more people um, in the second day of the tournament. So they'll basically do the first day for anyone that has their day one invite. And then you can change your deck dates. You know, day two will start, which will be like um, a whole other tournament. And then it'll be like a two day regional. So you'll play like day one, and then the top 32 people or, or whoever is like 61 or better will qualify for day two, like like any other you know major tournament, which is is going to be different from from years past for sure. But yeah, it's always been you know you play in that that first day, and then the the next day starts a completely new tournament. Yeah, and then so in terms of changing decks, <coughs> you said you can change between if you're the day one to day two. Can you change your deck again, or it's like the day two is like locked for the rest of the tournament at that point? Yeah. So again, this is the 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 only year that they've they've done this this third day. Um, well, other I mean, they've had the fi- like the finals yeah. would be on day three, but they've oh, done like an, an extra day. Um, but yeah, no, it'll be it'll be like a day a two day tournament. So you'll you'll keep your deck from the from day two to day three. Um, but looking cool. at the decks from day one, I think you would ask, you know, how much stake do I take and and people looking at people's decks going from day one to day two, and, and it, honestly, pretty heavily. Like I feel like. Historically, for the most part, it's pretty uncommon to change your deck from day one to day two. Um, it, some people do, because um, like you'll see a deck day one that somebody next to you is playing, and you're like, oh, well, that's way better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> you switch over to it. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, but for, for the most part, like a lot of people spend you know so much time preparing for worlds, just trying to get through day one, that you know they don't have like a day one deck or a day two deck. Some people do. Don't get me wrong. Um, and like, I'm, you know, Drew uh, and I are testing, he's qualified for day, day one of worlds. And so we've talked about, oh, this is a Thursday deck or, oh, this is a, this is a, you know, um, but you know, for the most part, a lot of people just keep their same deck. And so it's a pretty good representation of like what the, the people are going to be playing on the next day too. So I'm, I'm definitely out there like scouting and seeing what people are playing on the first day for sure. Yeah. I mean, you joke about the binoculars or whatever, but I'm pretty sure cause in, on, oh, I'm not like joking. 20, I'm, I'm, I'm like 2019 up. worlds, I was watching Purple Cliff 
um, stream worlds. And I'm pretty sure he like he made legitimate claims of like people bringing binoculars. And I was like, whoa, that's like wild. And I come from a sports background. So like scouting and stuff is like nothing new to me. It, it was just that's crazy. It's kind of funny, though. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's, it's like a, it's a privilege that is definitely nice. And that, that's like one of the most rewarding things about, you know, spending so much time and effort in competing to get your day two invite is that you get to see what other people are playing before you make your decision of what to play, right? You get to watch a whole, not only do you not have to worry about playing day one, but you get to just like observe and like not worry about competing and just like think about your play for an extra day as you're observing the tournament go on which is super nice and it's 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 really cool now obviously this will depend on like the venue and stuff but like if you have automatically qualified for day two when you're going into day one to do some scouting are you like on the same ground floor as them and there's like a at least from what I remember at NAIC, there's like a sectioned off where all the tables are. So like you can't go past that tape probably. But like, do you go there or do people not qualified for day one and automatically qualified for day two? They like can't really get in, you know, the place like oh, they no, go to yeah. the shops and stuff, but like they can't get on like the, the floor or whatever. No, Does you're right there. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right there. You're, I'm, I'm like behind the rope like peering over like <laughs> yeah i i think um, i was gonna say i think if i remember they maybe instituted more rules especially since covid of like people not being allowed to like stand around tables during matches mm -hmm. um because they also i think there's like rules about like you don't want people to like cheat and give signals to their friends by standing behind the opponent that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff yeah. like that that was a thing that was happening back in the day um so yeah, there there have been times like this year too, where I was just like trying to observe a friend or whatever, and you know you have to stay out of the aisles or you have to like look from from afar. Um, so I guess that makes the binoculars ever more relevant, right? Yeah, I think it's just I think it's kind of just like proper etiquette to be like on if you are going to view a match, you view it like on the, the side, side, you know, where where you're facing like the middle in between the players, like right in the middle of the table, if that makes sense. You know, one player to your left, one player to your right, so you don't really see hands or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, I do. I I make a point to do that, or I will observe um, standing behind whoever my like. I'm there to observe, so it's like I know, you know, that I'm not like I can't see this other person's hand. Because like, even even something like unintentional, if like you like can see <laughs> your the person you're rooting for the opposing player's hand, and you like make a, a face unintentionally, or you like you just make the pog champ like, face. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, and then it's like you know, yeah, and then your your friend looks up and sees that, and then. The other thing is, like, if I'm observing a friend of mine, like, I don't want them to know I'm there, right? I don't want them to be thinking yeah. about me watching them. So I always try and do it from, like, a distance where they can't see me and I can't see their, you know. You don't want them to whatever. think about how you're going to roast them back at the hotel for the <laughs> misplayer or whatever. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's time to get into the actual meat, the meta-analysis, you know? Like, obviously, Frank, like, you may... You may have the spice. You don't need to disclose the spice. We're not asking. But, like, in general, in general, like, I guess we can start with, like, what are, we can talk about, like, the top decks, right? They're the things that everybody knows, but, like, what are the things that you expect to see the most of this year? Yeah, I actually have a list. I have a specific list that I wrote down for you um, of, I have 10 decks I expect to see, like, the most frequent and then the ones that I think are the best, which are slightly different. Okay. Um, so I think that um, in popularity, well, first of all, the S tier of decks right now are Arceus Intellion and Palkia Intellion. Like those are undeniably the two best decks in the format. They are in a tier of their own. Like they'll be, they'll make up like a good chunk of the meta. Just those two decks might make up like fifty percent of the tournament. Um, which is is crazy, um, but those two decks are are very 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 good. Um, they're kind of interchangeable. How how um, you know popular you think they are? How good you think they are? I personally like Palkia a little bit better than Arceus. If I um, <coughs> excuse me, if I were to play a top tier deck or an S tier deck, I would probably play Palkia over Arceus. Um, and then I think, well, and the other thing too is like. I think there'll be certain decks that get played day one and certain decks that get played day two. Like I think Mew VMAX will be a deck that sees a good amount of play in day one. Mm -hmm. And I do not expect a lot of Mew VMAX in day two. If I, I, I could even like, 
I wouldn't be surprised if I didn't play a single new, new VMAX day two of the tournament. Wow. I would agree with that. Yeah, whereas day one, I could see uh, a few of that. So I think that's a good and popular deck as well. Um, Arceus Flying Pikachu, um, I think, is probably going to be another popular deck. There's Arceus Bit Barrel Variants. Um, Dialga, I think, is uh, pretty good and, and will be pretty popular. And then one deck I don't think will be as popular, but I think is probably in just behind Arc Inteleon and Palkia Inteleon is probably um, Mewtwo Miltank. Mm. That deck is very good, and it's super annoying because it like you're forced to be able to beat that deck, right? It's like you know I have this. De- it is a threat that exists, and it is a good deck, and people should play it if they're comfortable with it. Um, but it is also so annoying because you know not only do I have to worry about beating Arceus or beating Inteleon, but I also have to worry about like I have to be able to get through Miltank, yeah. <laughs> which it's is, like, like it's two different. It's two different like archetypes like you talk about like aggressive archetypes you know and stuff like that but like the milk tank mewtwo is just like a whole different play and a whole different play style you know yeah it's it's such an interesting um deck for this format because it forces it like when i've been preparing for the tournaments like i have to now play a deck or like my choice for the tournament has to be able to get through mill tank or has to be and has to be able to like hit 310 damage um to get through the mewtwo which is like so annoying because now you create this like subset of rules that you have to have for your deck to to be able to compete in this tournament which like limits the pool of what you can do by so much and so not only do i have to like have those things about my deck like it has to be able to get through mill tank and do a good chunk of damage but then it's like i have to have a deck that can do that and also like beat arceus and beat palkia which is really yeah, really i was cool. gonna say like doesn't mu v max get through mill tank and can output 300 i mean like you it seems like the answer is there but like the rest of the meta kind of like is oppressive to it yeah so the thing about mu vmax is like it it was always a good deck throughout the year yeah. especially if you're if you're just like oh i'm just trying to get points like just play mu because it's a, it's a good deck it can just it can literally it can beat anything like if it draws well uh, there's a lot of coin flips involved. You'll have plenty sometimes... of time for lunch because it's fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, you look at a lot of top players that played Mew this year, and not a lot, like, not a lot of them had crazy good finishes. And you look at the people that did well with Mew, and not, you know, there weren't a ton of household names. I think the one in EUIC that was like their first big tournament, right? And they had gotten top four uh, with Mew, and I think the one that top uh, topped Indianapolis. Did Mew get a top eight in Indianapolis? Or I think it was top sixteen. Top, was it with because I eight, Wisconsin maybe? Yeah, because I I think NAIC we made the joke of like there was more something or other than Mu Vmax in mm-hmm. top sixteen or top eight. Trying I can't remember what. And I know there was an event recently, a big event that we covered that was like, oh, this random deck Vickavold or whatever had yeah. more top thirty two oh, yeah, than yeah, you yeah. or something like that. Yeah, so it's just it's just one of those decks that just like it, it is extremely strong and extremely powerful, but there's just like so much variance that you know I wouldn't stake my the one the, the last tournament. tournament of the year like yeah. the, you know the of like tournaments to on on this deck, and I think a lot of like top players or you know that are competing in the world championships like aren't gonna stake their world's run on UV Max because um, there there's everything you know there's nothing to 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 lose for this tournament, right? You're, you're going there trying to win. I don't think a lot of people are going to, you know, leave it up to me, Max. And so I'm not like super worried about it in the second day of the tournament. Day one, it's just like, okay, I have to go three, two, or I have to go three, one or whatever. I just got to get three quick wins. Let me just put it in the hands of me. Sure. But then, you know, I'm trying to win the tournament. Probably not. So that's why I kind of am not, you know, too worried about it in, in day two of the tournament. Yeah. That makes um, sense. Um, I mean, I guess in terms of like new cards, because you mentioned this earlier, like usually there's like a new set that comes out right before Worlds and that might have an impact. Uh, obviously, the only new set we got was Pokemon Go, which is yeah. like there's but there are a couple of cards. Do you think there are any cards from that set that are going to make a significant difference? Yeah, I think that Radiant Charizard is probably the mm most likely to end up in a top eight worlds list um, of all of the cards from Pokemon Go, followed by Pokestop 
And maybe that's Norlax if uh, Sandra has anything to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you saying that Soul Rock and Lunatone is not an S tier deck? <laughs> I, so actually, no. I've been talking about this like a little bit. Like I'm, I'm kind of concerned about that deck. <laughs> like, I was talking to to. Um, I, I've actually been talking with uh, with Zach Lesage a little bit uh, as well because that's like my homie, and uh, you know we talk back and forth uh, quite a bit, and we've been talking about worlds a little bit. <laughs> And we were talking, and we are just like, do we just lose to, like, Glunarox? Like, do we worry about that deck? Like, that's that's been a question on everybody's mind. And we came to the consensus that, like, there will be somebody out there that, like, absolutely just, like, has the, like, cracks the code. Like, I'm super worried about, like, there's going to be, like, a person or a group that, like, takes Solok Lunatone as good as it can go. Like, they're going to have the perfect list. Uh <laughs> And like if that if they do like so be it I'm gonna that one's you know that one's not on my yeah hands. like you earn that one you but earn like, that, yeah, yeah. If you, wanna, if you, wanna, you deserve if you, everything that you're getting right now absolutely yeah so I'm, I'm concerned about that but not concerned enough where I'm just like constantly like testing it or hyping it up or anything like that I think it's decent and um it's uh it's eighth on my I think my top ten ranking for for decks that I think are good um. And it's something that I think is still a little bit underexplored, right? Like we just saw going back to following the results of online tournaments, we're mm. just starting to see um, decks doing well with like two two Mewtwo in their Lunatone Soul Rock list, which I think is pretty cool. Like there was like a, a list or two that I got in like one one a tournament, and then I think I got like top eight in another one with a Soul Rock Lunatone deck with a two two Mewtwo V Star. Um, so I think it's like one that's going to be. A little underexplored, but if I had to pick a card from, you know, uh, Pokemon Go that would do the best of the tournament, uh, it would not be Soul Rock. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess one other deck you mentioned one deck, and I feel like it never gets talked about, at least in my what, what I hear, uh, as like those top decks, like the Palkias or whatever, which is Dialga. And yeah, I think that deck. I don't know. I think like it's not that much of a surprise. I think I think there's something there, but like. I think the right build of that deck can really, I don't know, can do damage. But am I am I overhyped? No, no. I think that that's going to be like the sleeper play. I think for Worlds, in my opinion, is Dialga. I think it's really good. Um, I think it's it's one of those things that you can build a bunch of different ways. Like you look at you know how people are playing the deck, and then I don't know if you've ever seen um, Alex Shemansky's list for Dialga. That's my favorite list personally. Um, and he had played it to quite a few tournaments and done well with it, and it's been kind of like one of the more popular variants now. It has the two Silene in it and uh, Canceling Cologne um, to deal with like the next problem with getting through Mill Tank, and um, I think that is is a very good list, and I think it just goes to show that there are so many different ways to build it or like different inclusions to make that um, if you spend a lot of time on it, you can definitely just like sneak away with a, a World's Win. I think Dialga could definitely win the tournament. Like the um, archetype has a lot of wiggle room, which is yeah. super valuable, especially when you talk about like bringing something that somebody doesn't expect. Yeah, and I think players will play it too. Like I don't know if you, um, you know, Xander Perot just put an article out with Channel Fireball where he talked about just basically that it's it's definitely a deck that people will play for sure. Like I know that he had played it for NAIC and he put this article out about how he still thinks it's one of the best plays for world. So it's definitely a deck. That I expect to see quite a bit of, and it's a deck that, because it exists, kind of like that Mewtwo Mill Tank, is there's like a lot of decks that really can't um, exist because of it. Like, I, I think Stone Junior is like a cool deck and something that I wanted to try, and then I just thought about how badly it would lose to Dialga, and then it just kind of like went into the bin because I think that'll be uh, a good deck. I think that's like a sleeper deck, and I think that's a deck that will get played a little bit more than people expect, in my opinion, at least. Um, and it's one like you were saying that has you know there's so much um, there's so much to explore with it that there are other decks that just like completely you know get thrown away because of it and so that's kind of like one of the other decks it might not be the best deck it's not the S tier deck but it's one of the decks that is like heavily shaping the meta. Um. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Mewtwo Mill Tank. Uh, I I'm personally excited to see what Xander. What Sander brings. I know Jake always excited for what Sander is going to bring, but um, it's like some of my favorite decks all come from Sander because <laughs> they're just so wild. It's just a puzzle. But 
Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, open to both of you, actually, because, Jake, you follow Control more than I do. Do you feel like there is... Like, how much room is there for exploration in Control? And, and, you know, it's already scary, don't get me wrong, but, like, is it a solved archetype yet? I'll let Frank go. Yeah. Because I so have actually, thoughts. That was one of the first archetypes I had looked at um, when I started testing because I really liked Radiant Venusaur. It was one of the first cards I started working with. Mm. I thought it was cool that you could refill your hand at the end of the turn. And the thing about, um, excuse me, the Eldegoss loop deck they played with the Umbreon mm. is you would have to continually reuse, uh, you'd like cycle Bird Keeper and then Cheryl and then Bird Keeper, and then it would be a point in the loop um, where you you like couldn't break that or couldn't do anything with that. Whereas, like, the, because the Venusaur draws you cards at the end of your turn, if you limit your hand or limit all the cards in play to five, you would shuffle the Eldegoss back in and then redraw everything and then draw for turn. So you could, like, play um, a different supporter in between. Like, you didn't need the Bird Keeper to draw cards. Um, so it, it kind of gave control um, a really good tool with the Eldegoss loop. And then it can just create, like, um, kind of a different engine. Like, one of the engines that I was exploring is with... Uh, I tried it with Wormadam, like, Zoroark-style decks first, because um, I was playing it with Peony. Because you would just, like, Peony, discard your entire hand, mm -hmm. and then, uh, you know, grab exactly what you need, and then drop to four. And so I was trying to play it in decks that wanted to discard a lot of cards. Um which is like the the Eldegoss loop deck wants to do that right away too, and so that's kind of how I came into it. And then I tried it with like a Zoroark kind of control deck because you wanted to discard the Pokemon that you need to take it back out, right? Um, but all of my testing with that at the end of the day, it's just like this was not as good as Milton Me Too. It was just yeah. like you know they they found it, and I I even messaged uh, Sander and I messaged uh, Britt Pivas as well because he was one of the ones who was playing the Me Too deck and had, had tests with uh, Meese and in that group. And, you know, I, I was just picking the brain about Corviknight, uh, Corviknight Eldegoss and about control in general. And they were kind of saying the same thing of just like, you know, the, it's just the Mewtwo deck was like just better. And they're right. <laughs> they're right. That, was the, that was the conclusion. So that's kind of where I let it lie. I'm sure there's something cool out there, like especially with the new Snorlax and everything. Like, they, yeah. like control got so many tools that there's probably a good list out there. But um I don't want to test any more control. To yeah, be that's honest. fair. That's fair. It takes. I'll just play. I'll just play the YouTube deck if I want to play control. It's more. I mean, like in my experience with control, like because I would play control at a lot of like locals, cups, challenges, things like that. Like it was just net decked. You know, it, it was not like I just tested the list for hours and hours. I did it after somebody did really well with it. You know, yeah. but. I just feel like control, like it's just not in that spot yet. It's still missing a couple pieces. And like when you talk about Mewtwo and Milk Tank, it's not really like control as much as it is like stall. Like yeah. I would consider it more of like a stall type deal because you just you just can't KO Mewtwo yeah. or you can't KO Mew or okay. Milk Tank, right? So it's just like one of those things, but it's like an aggressive version of it because Mewtwo can also just wipe you out <laughs> if need. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing about, like, control stall, you know, whatever you want to call it, is it, it it's not, like, a deck that exists, and, you know, it's it's not something that you really, I mean, you can net deck, but it's not something that's, like, super net deckable, because you have to build the deck around the format, right? Your card inclusions, and, you know, do you play hammers, or do you play, you know, how many copies of Flannery do you play, and, like, all, you know, do you play the Rabombi, right? That all revolves around, like, what other people are going to be playing and it revolves around like what's popular in the format or like what things that you can exploit from the format, whether it's like energy denial or not being able to attack through mill tank or, or what have you. Right. Um, and so I think right now mill tank is on so many people's radars that it makes like a control, not as good, but there's a world where you have enough tools to build like a, a solid control deck. Um, I am just too lazy to figure it out. It's not me right now. It's not. The I'm real, not that person. I'm not the real like, thing. I'm... The real 500 IQ play is Sander. You know, doing the control decks, whatever at events. You know, earlier in the 
the comeback to the season. And then the the EYC, you know, jumps off of like control and goes to like a more aggressive type of stall in Mewtwo is making everyone think, you know, control is gone. You know, I'm, I can't do it anymore, you know, but then he comes back for worlds and then he just absolutely goes undefeated. Like, that's just how it's going to go. Well, Meta manipulation at its finest. I will say, he may, he may go undefeated, but he also might go winless. That's how control do. You just yeah, end up with like, a zero zero eight line or something. You see, yeah, you just have a lot of ties <laughs> right. at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I, the thing about control right now, personally, is just with um, a lot, like, Palkia existing is just so annoying because they play basic energy and they yeah. play a ton of ways to get it back. And you have them... You know, you have the Melanie and you have the V-Star ability and, you know, his training cord exists. And it's just, like, so hard to play a style of control where you're based on, like, running them out of resources, right? Because the best second format has, a you know, so many ways of, of getting back their resources. And there's just, like, a lot of decks right now are just so fast, too. And the way that the damage output is, it's really hard to to even like wall with something because you know things are doing you know so much damage like you the best wall right now is it it's a guard. like it's like yeah. you know it's just, it's just really hard to do control right now the way the format is yeah do you say. feel like uh sorry sean this is just a quick question do you feel like there's a lot more ties right now in tournaments than before when we were but then before the pandemic, I just feel like I'm looking at results and like, um, who was it? Robin Scholes or something like just an absurd, like six ties or something like that. Um, the, I just feel like I look at results right now and I see so many people with so many ties. And I'm, I'm wondering if you feel that same way or if it's just me, I don't know. Um, I don't feel like it's significant enough to where I, I hadn't really thought about it until you brought it up. I think there could be a couple factors doing that a lot for a lot of people too, who started playing during the online era of Pokemon and had never really played an in-person event, like aren't used to like the time restrictions of, uh, you know, best of three event. I think that could be a big factor as well. And I also, I think we're in a format that it's fast, but at the same time, and like you're taking three prizes by knocking something out. But at the same time, too, like there's not as many one shots as there there used to be, right? Mm. Like thinking back to like the Zoroark format, you had this, you know, um, Zoroark 210 HP um, stage one Pokemon weak to fighting, and your fighting tech for that deck was uh, Baby Buzzhole a lot of the time, which could do 120 damage for one fighting energy without even needing a choice, but you know, choice yeah. anything like that. Um, and you would just one shot it super easily. Whereas like now, you know, what are you, you're having to do to like tech in a, a one shot potential. It's like, you know, you have to play, um, and for Palkia, you're playing like Zara Aura, which you need like, uh, you know, Raihan that turn, Annihilating Energy and a tool and, and all this different stuff. And so, you know, I, I think right now it's like a lot harder to do one hit KO things and like mm -hmm. tech for, for weakness right now. And, so, and you have a lot of healing between, uh, you know, Cheryl's in format, Sharon's cares in format, Mew can shuffle itself back to the deck. And um, so there are a lot of, uh, it's a lot uh, easier to kind of like prolong the game. So that, that could be a factor, but I, I don't think it's as, as that prevalent. Prevalent, yeah. uh, but I could be wrong. I haven't like sat down and looked at it. I think it definitely feels more chess than you know Arceus GX Boston and a Boston and a game over. Yeah, I think yeah. that's like and compared to like that, like Arceus GX Tag Team GX era, much a little bit slower. But also, I think back to like 2019 format when you had Tina tags, right? You had Giratina Malamar, and you were just uh, those games. What? Like that was also a deck that like going into that. I went to one regional. And that was a tournament I was like, whoever plays this deck is committed to not winning because you will end up with more ties that, and make it such that you can't advance to day two because you have too many ties. And that's exactly what happened. The people who played that deck, like, it's a good deck, but unless you could get two wins in a row, you were going to end in a tie. There was no way you could finish three games of that. And I don't think there's a deck that's... There's not really a deck that isn't control specifically. There's not really a deck that's like that now, like a one prize attacking deck that just takes forever. 
Yeah, it's it's really hard to be a one prize deck in the format right now. Like, there's just no. I mean, there are a lot of good one prize um, Pokemon, and they're like, it's just really hard to to do that because I think things are just doing so much damage now. Like, a the best like stage two Pokemon is gonna have like 170 HP, right? Which Arceus just eats through. Yeah, and. You know, even if you have like the most insanely broken, you know, one prize Pokemon, um, it's just getting it out and getting the mechanics to get it going, and it is just like never worth it. Um, and they're just never doing as much damage as a as a, a V Star Pokemon, even though they're they're worth less prizes. And, and you know, theoretically, if you have like this amazing one prize Pokemon and making your opponent knock out six things, has historically been really good. It's just they're, the way that I think they're printing the cards now is just like really preventing one prizes from being being prevalent, and especially you know stage one or stage two one prize Pokemon, let alone like just like a basic one prize deck is just so tough. Yeah, you got to get that Pokemon Go Blastoise stage two in your Dialga deck to just put eight thousand energies on it, you know, turn two or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it, it's like that's just so much effort to like get that going, and then your opponent knocks all of that out immediately, and you're like, oh, uh, you know, a third of my deck went into getting this set up. It's, like, oh. it's really fun when you can do it, but then when it doesn't work, which is a lot of times, it's it just feels really bad. Yeah, and whereas Arceus, it's like, okay, I got to evolve it and attach to it twice, and yeah. you know, my whole board, my whole strategy is like set up. It's it's just it's too and, good. And even if you don't have the cards, I evolve it. I go. No, get, no, I go get the cards. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. I don't need to worry about it. Um. Yeah. Uh. Well, I guess that like that probably wraps it up. I think for like the meta analysis and everything. Um. Thank you, Frank, for joining us. It was a wonderful discussion about worlds. A lot of great insight there. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to mention, shout out, talk about briefly? This is now your podcast, by the way. Yeah, yeah. this is yours now. <laughs> um, I don't think anything I, I anything else I, I really wanted to cover. I would say uh, I'll just I'll just shout my myself out if that's cool. Heck yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, you can follow me on uh, pretty much all platforms for the most part. Follow me on Twitter at Steak Frank. You can see it right there. I am about. I'm streaming uh, soon. I think what what day is this going on now? This will be like the August second episode. Yeah, we're recording this ahead of time, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Um. Okay, so I should have already be streaming. Uh. So catch me on Twitch at uh, Twitch.tv/steakfrank. And then I'm currently in the middle of filming my first YouTube video oh. or YouTube. It, it's just going to be a uh, how to play video. So nothing too crazy, but uh, I am uh, working on my YouTube channel as well in the interim. I actually just recently um, uh, left my job to look for another job. But in the meantime, while I'm looking for another job, I'm going to be putting a lot of time and effort towards content and things like that. So um, I'm you know, if you sitting here have a lot of listeners who are kind of just getting into playing or, you know, wanting to learn how to play or things like that, that'll kind of be the first thing you can head on over there and kind of learn how um, to play from, from myself. And I'll kind of, you know, use that platform to kind of dive into for people who are interested in how to play like very highly competitively and how to get into competing into tournaments and, and how to, you know, win those tournaments and things like that. You can kind of head on over to that. So, so keep in mind for that. And, um, if you want to subscribe in the meantime, that would be super cool. But um, yeah, go and check that out. Yeah. You so also much. do coaching, right? I feel yeah. like I just oh, saw my God. Twitter yeah, recently. Like, <laughs> wow, a whole bunch of people here. talking. About, like I saw a whole Twitter montage, like my timeline one day. It was just people talking about how you know they got a coaching session from you, and it was awesome. And everybody was like, like you were the man of the day. So talk about that. Talk about your coaching. Yeah, I recently started coaching with Medify. If you're not familiar, you can head on over to. Um, metafygg slash at Frank dash Persic. Um, Easy. P-E-R-C-I-C. Or you can just go on my Twitter. It's, it's in my, my bio. You can check out the link. Um, but yeah, no, I do coaching. I have a bunch of different packages, actually. I, I spent a lot of time and effort um, making different, like, lessons and different packages available at different price ranges for depending on, like, what you're interested in. So there's everything from like learn how to play 
to just like play like one game with me if you want and or you can just like there's like different ones of just like i'll watch you play and comment on stuff and i can do like little write-ups i have an options for like a deck review if you're just interested in like deck building and want to know how to make your deck better or make a certain card work you can send that my way um so there's like a ton of options over there and um you know at all like you're saying good reviews so far i've had such an enjoyable time um getting back into coaching recently with metify and uh you know, every experience has been super great. And I actually, um, in uh, my, like when I was a student and then in my career, actually, I spent um, a good amount of time uh, like lecturing and doing lesson plans and things like that. So I love to teach. and I love to help people learn, especially. So if it's something you're interested in learning, um, how to play Pokemon better, like I said, just how to start, you know, winning more, doing better in tournaments, you can head on over to um, Metify and check me out and actually if you follow me on twitter uh with the content creation stuff i should be putting out um a code pretty soon that'll get you uh, i think 15 percent off so there you go well frank thank you so much for joining us yet again being the big brains of the podcast talking with these two ding nuts and that is all for the podcast the pokemon tcg podcast that revolves around the evolving meta we will see you next week